2: There was breakdown down to twenty nine from many years of lots of drugs and drinking. My symptoms were anxiety, panic attacks, depression, insomnia, agoraphobia. That was when I found meditation and I used a particular deep style of meditation called Transcendental Meditation. Quite fascinatingly, the anxiety, depression, the panic attacks and that just started to dissipate. We access a field of intelligence, the unified field. It's the field that all potential and all creativity exists in. And it's bursting with fullness. It's bursting with all possibility that everything that will ever be created and designed and cognized will come out of that. Field. So when we start to dip into that field of pure consciousness, we're really coming from a place of greater potential. The only way that we can truly experience the depths of fulfillment is to But if we really want to liberate ourselves, we've got to actually. Achieve... Are you ready to let go of being everything and anything at the same time? And then what will happen is, the richness will be yours.
0: Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amra Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. Keep the good vibes flowing. For myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. This conversation with Tom Cronin goes super deep. those that are looking to start a meditation practice or whether you've been meditating for a few years and you want to go even deeper or whether you've been meditating for maybe even like you know maybe coming on to a decade and you've dropped off your meditation practice and want to reignite it in a really potent way and also this conversation is for those people that have a meditation practice that seems much more cognitive based than spiritual based you've been you're definitely across the mental benefits of meditation but really want to understand the spiritual benefits what's actually going on in the metaphysical for you as well, stitched all together in this one conversation with Tom Cronin, a really, really, really powerful conversation on the benefits and the potential benefits of meditation, how far it can really take you, like how deep your meditation journey can go, how to access it and then go all the way in. If that's something you want to find out more about, this conversation is for you. (coughs) Welcome back to the Inspired Evolution. Tom, we've got Tom Cronin with us today. Brother, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for doing this with us.
2: Mate, it's uh, great to be here again. I was very excited to hear that I was invited back again. We had such a deep conversation last time and I enjoy just riffing and hanging out with you, so looking forward to this.
0: Oh man, the treat is absolutely mine. I have to ask, and this is going to be a total hairbrain question, but the you, like were you expecting it second time round and was it like, did it throw you off or were you okay with me youing and uh, coming out of the gates?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard to shake me, but uh, it, was, <laughs> it was a little bit of a surprise, but it's all good. <laughs> okay, good to know.
0: Um, for those that are tuning into Tom for the first time, Tom Cronin, founder of the Stillness Project and co-creator of The Portal. And we're going to talk a little bit more about um, the stimulus Project and the portal as well. As Tom mentioned, we've had a whole other episode with Tom before, uh, but it's been a while and I really wanted to dive in deeper um, into the conversation around meditation. But today's conversation will be geared for those that are first-time meditators and those that have been meditating for a while and potentially dropped off their practice as well, because I noticed that that happens quite a bit in my coaching. So... Yeah, I guess uh, the first place to sort of start in the conversation, just to provide us some context, Tom, like um, your story, like how did the Stillness Project come to be something that you do? Because I remember from our last conversation, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street (laughs) kind of vibes and yeah, just, you know, lots of going out, experimentation, like just enjoying your life to the fullest, but then also somehow feeling empty. Can you tell us a little bit about your story um, just to provide some context for those and listen back to
2: the other episode. Yeah, for sure. To give some context, I suffered extreme stress in my body, uh, which sort of was manifesting as panic attacks. Uh, I was manifesting as anxiety, restless leg, tapping leg syndrome, uh, chronic chronic insomnia, uh, severe depression, and this was kind of like this culmination of time in a very stressful environment which was me being a money broker on a trading room floor very wolf of wall street and then having really late nights lots of drinking partying um, late 80s early 90s things were kind of pretty crazy back then and you know the, the body's an interesting device the body has this incredible intelligence within it and we think of ourselves as the body but it's really just a mechanism that we're currently using to experience this earthly realm this dense realm And it's a beautiful mechanism because it's got this inbuilt intelligence that's designed for optimization. And when it is not optimized, when it is not given the appropriate environment to optimize itself, that is obviously good rest, nutrition, fluids, and obviously, um, you know, positive thoughts, etc, positive environments, then the body sends these signals. And it sends these sort of pulses of signals, which are like red lights on a dashboard, when the red light pops up on a dashboard of your vehicle, your car, the red light is telling you that there's somewhere in that vehicle a problem that you need to address. And that's what a symptom is. So my symptoms were anxiety, panic attacks, depression, insomnia, agoraphobia, constantly getting colds, flus, sicknesses. Um, And these were just simply the red light on the dashboard. These were the signals that the body was giving me. And look, for a long time, I ignored those signals. And if we ignore the signal, of course, the signal just gets worse. The it red gets light right, on the bashing, yeah, because there's you know, a point just... where
0: you couldn't even leave the house, right?
2: Yeah, I developed agoraphobia, so I, I really had a full-blown nervous breakdown at the age of 29 from many years of lots of drugs and drinking and crazy times. And um, that was when I found meditation. And, you know, interestingly, what happened when I started to meditate, and I used a particular deep style of meditation called transcendental meditation. And really, quite fascinatingly, I created through the meditation and environment, there was profoundly deep rest. And then all of those anomalies, the body just started to work them all out and melt them away. And quite fascinatingly, they just simply just melted away. And all the anxiety, depression, the the panic attacks and that just started to dissipate. And I went back into that job and I continued on for 16 more years without having those red lights flashing up on the dashboard. So it was really quite powerful. And that's what really motivated me to Bring this very ancient esoteric spiritual practice into the mainstream and realize the power of this for workers, corporates, you know, business leaders, business people. And that's why, you know, not only was it a great success in my life, but I brought this into a lot of corporations, um, you know, lately working with Amazon and Coca Cola and Oracle and Qantas to help them bring this to their staff as well.
0: Nowadays, it is more accessible thanks to the work not too dissimilar to exactly what you're doing in the world. Um, But I imagine when you started meditating, it wasn't just a matter of an ad popped up in your Facebook feed, learn how to meditate, you know. How did, like, yeah, like, how did that moment come about? Because you're going through all your challenges, all the red lights are popping up on the dashboard. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, it, I, and I had someone reflect this to me recently. Like I've got my own journey in dep- like of depression and meditation totally reconstituted my life, is the way I share it from stage myself. Um, but someone reflected back to me and was like, You're so lucky that your doctor prescribed you mindfulness as well as pills. Um, and I was and I reflected on that, I was like, actually, yeah, like my whole trajectory in life would have been so different had I not been handed a five-step breathing exercise. Um, yeah, how did the meditation drop into like, how did you come across meditation, I'm going to say way back then, and <laughs> sound rude, but do you know what I mean? Like, back then it wasn't as 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 prevalent and as prominent that meditation wasn't mainstream. Um, how did you come across it, and what was sort of, yeah, what evoked you to go there? What was the invitation? How did that really, that point pivot?
2: Mm. Um, so you're right. Um, the doctors that I was seeing at the time, for the situation that I was in, and the psychiatrist, well, they definitely weren't recommending that to me—mindfulness um, or meditation. It was really just pop some pills, and you know, this is who you are. One actually said that I'm—I I'm, have a stressful nature, you know—which was quite debilitating to hear that from a specialist, a psychiatrist. Such an to... intense
0: label, man. Sorry, yeah. I should just yeah. listen to the response, <laughs> man.
2: Yeah, it was quite astounding. It was very debilitating for me at that point, not really having a great sense of awareness about other authorities in the world beyond doctors and ph- physicians and psychiatrists. You know, Later on, you realise that there are phenomenal thought leaders and profoundly qualified people in other areas of personal development and spirituality that um, were definitely going to add a lot more value to my life. Not to discredit doctors and psychiatrists, it's just that at that point in time, it was very limited what I was getting as far as support from them. And so uh, they definitely weren't recommending meditation and mindfulness. And I was at home with agoraphobia. This was 1996, and there was definitely no Google, no Instagram and no TikTok, et cetera, no no way of finding these things other than, um, you know, word of mouth or maybe in the newspaper or something. But I was watching TV and it was a documentary about a property developer. And this story was a one-hour documentary about the success of this person. But there was a, interestingly a very tiny slither of that story where he was sitting in a chair meditating and he talked about how he used this particular style of meditation for his success and it was actually Transcendental Meditation. He'd learned TM mm. and they showed him sitting in a chair and he was in a suit meditating and I was like, wow. You know, I I, I resonated with that. You know, I sit in chairs and I wore suits so it just made sense <laughs> that um, that could work for me as well. And I never come across meditation in my life. It was the first time I'd really ever... You know, I'd heard of it but not really seen it or knew anything about it. And so at that point, I picked up the yellow pages, which for the young people listening would have no idea what that (laughs) is, but it was our old Google. And, um, you know, it was this big fat yellow book that had all the companies listed in it. And I went to M for Meditation and looked at the different companies or organisations that were listed under M for Meditation. And there I saw TM, Transcendental Meditation. It was actually, I still remember it was in, in red. You could highlight your company by paying extra by having it in red. So there's a lot of sort of centers in Sydney with the black. And then this one was in red. And it was what I'd heard, remember, from the, the documentary. So I, I rang them up and said, you know, look, I'd, I'd like to learn this technique. And they said, well, you, you got to come for an introductory talk. And when I went to the introductory talk, everything that I heard there was like, it was like epiphany after epiphany after epiphany. Um, they talked about, you know, outcome-oriented fulfillment versus self-referred fulfillment. They talked about the physiology of the body and the mind. They talked about... Um, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And there was a lot of science involved in that discussion, which really resonated with my brain and where I was at. Anyway, I learned that technique and that's, that was a game changer for me. It really did change my life a lot.
0: Yeah, wow. So, yeah, you um, you, it was thanks to the power of a, a documentary that you were watching ultimately at the end of the day um, that, yeah, you can relate to. Do you look back at that moment and sort of, did that somewhat inspire the co-creation of The Portal? Uh, Maybe, oh wait, before I get there, what's The Portal? Maybe (laughs) maybe that's a better question to ask for those that are tuning in. Um, Yeah, you created the the documentary, The Portal. Do you want to like tell us a little bit about The Portal? And uh, yeah, the six very interesting individuals that go through the journey. Um, And I think there's two or three sages that sort of storytell along the way as well. Sorry, I'm starting to fill in the blanks. The portal top
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, you know that was the very starting point for me on the the realization of what meditation can do for us. I, I, firstly, I was just blown away. I was like, so I couldn't believe how quickly these anomalies simply melted away, and that was just by simply closing my eyes, repeating this strange sound, and putting my body into profoundly deep states of rest. And from there, I got very motivated to help other people to relieve their suffering and their stresses that they were experiencing through this simple technique It was just mind-boggling that this technique had stood the test of time five to seven thousand years and here we have it at our disposal like the world needs to see this the world needs to have this so that was the sort of starting point and um what really inspired the portal surprisingly was a book by tim Ferriss called the four-hour work week and um i remember reading that it was just at the very early stages of the internet and people with online programs and things like that and I got really inspired, um, firstly, by this idea that I could possibly leave my job and have a four hour work week, which of course never happened. Um, and I don't think Tim Ferriss has ever worked a four hour work week either. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea of it really resonated with me. And I like the idea of having this flexibility. And the internet was suddenly opening up this possibility. And then also at the same time, The Secret came out. And so The Secret had come out, and it was the first film in that genre. You know, we've had a lot of films since then that were all in meditation, spirituality, transformational, personal development space. But um, to see what it was able to do with something very esoteric, the law of attraction, and get that into the mainstream was phenomenal. And I thought, wow, we could possibly do that with meditation. And I thought, you know, I really wanted to inspire the world to meditate. It was one of my big things. I could see that most of the world's problems were coming from a state of consciousness, And if we shift that state of consciousness and put bodies into deep rest, then a lot of those anomalies would simply go away on the planet. And I thought, make that my intention and my drive was to inspire people to meditate more. And so the film was part of that. The Stillness Project and the film were kind of two vehicles that were to drive this intention of mine to bring meditation into the mainstream. And so that's where the portal sort of was born from, that idea of mainstreaming meditation. And then we decided that to make that film it really wanted. It needed more than just experts talking about meditation. It needed personal story. And I think storytelling is a really powerful way to convey a message. It, it can't just be data. It's got to be emotive. It's got to be emotional. It's got to be a journey that you, you go on with other people. And so we looked for stories around the world that had two main components in them, three really, three main components we were looking for in those stories that we were going to showcase in the film. One was they needed to have a crisis of some sort. We didn't want to showcase meditation against someone that lived in a monastery all their life and just had bliss. We wanted to showcase it against someone that had come from a, a dark night somehow, because that's what happened to me. And that contrast of where they were to where they're going or where they've been, Um or where they are now, um, was really important to show the contrast. To break
0: down, to break through. Yeah, exactly, and
2: how meditation played a role in that. So looking for crisis in their story, looking for meditation being the method for them to heal out of that. Now, there's obviously many other methods that people can use to transform and heal. It's just that I wanted to focus on for this particular film, Meditation. And then finally, to have some sort of global theme in their story that relates to a macro crisis for humanity. So we looked at micro crisis of an individual level and then we also want to convey with our futurists in the film that are sliced in amongst the stories the macro crisis for humanity and what what we're facing as a global theme, which is war and nuclear, obviously AI being a major one, and then um, environmental um, issues as well. So those are the three main themes and human displacement as well, the refugee in sway. And, um, and what those kind of key crises that we're facing for humanity are as well.
0: Yeah, because that was going to be one of my questions today, which is in the, uh, well, in the borderland, you know, just to get your insight into, it's, you know, I look back at even just one of the characters, you know, with the, in the well, characters makes it sound like they're acting but it's actually their own story um but one of the individuals probably the right way um in the portal and you know the inner peace core <laughs> you know and just what that sort of alludes to in terms of the work we've got to do within and also without and there's definitely that theme within the portal as well you know the inner challenges we have um and the external challenges that we see very present in the world right now what do you um what is your sentimentality around where you think the world is the trajectory that we're taking? Like I'm an eternal optimist here at the Inspired Evolution. I kind of feel like I not have to be, but I think we have a choice in our disposition. Um, if meditations taught me anything about observation, it's, you know, you have a choice about, you know, the response versus the reaction um, and choosing to respond with an optimism bias, I guess. Um Yeah, what is your sentiment feeling for where you potentially think this cusp of things are heading with, yeah, just the population? We were discussing even before we jumped on the podcast, the the situation around like natural disasters is peaking all over the world at the moment, artificial intelligence. It does seem to be that the collective consciousness or the consciousness of the planet seems to be in this point where we are, there seems to be a sentiment that we're coming to a, a point, a particular point. Do you feel that way? What are your thoughts on on what's ahead for us?
2: Yeah, I did a keynote yesterday in Melbourne, actually, um, your Home City, and I was at Mm. an organisation. And the opening of the keynote was I asked the audience who thinks the world's getting better and who thinks the Mm. world's getting worse. And it was a really interesting response. People were like, you know, they couldn't really answer Mm. that. Some said, I think it's getting better, and some said, I think it's getting worse. And I said, look, why it's so difficult to answer that right now is because we are exponentially getting better. And we're exponentially getting worse at the same time. We're seeing incredible access to global population for things like sanitation, for education, for health. These things are quite phenomenal in how quickly we're getting the the world out of you know, in large parts you know, uh, really really deep poverty and third world countries getting you know into places where they can start to exist a little bit more successfully. Quite quickly, we're also seeing. Um, exponential decay happening on the planet as well, with things like environment. Um, we're seeing uh, escalation um, in you know nuclear arms and things like that. We're also seeing um, a number of other factors that one could say you know plant and species decline is going off the charts. Um, and, you know so many different factors you could point to that we're seeing a deterioration on the planet. Um, the gap in some respects between the elite and the wealthy. Um, the top sort of one percent versus the rest of the world is is widening every day. So there's a number of factors that are major concerns, and there's a number of factors that we should be you know cheering ourselves on because of what's happening. And what we're seeing there is is this sort of incredible sort of um, destabilization where things are getting better and worse at the same time. And we can't keep going on that trajectory. We either want to go up to a higher level of order and cohesiveness, or we go down to a lower level of order and cohesiveness. And one of the looks like it's becoming more imminent as time goes on. And so we do need to be very mindful of what we're doing because what we do today is going to really be a big part of what we do tomorrow or what we experience tomorrow. And one thing I always come back to, which is what I love about the name of your podcast, is that evolution is the overriding intelligence. It's, it's nothing else but e- evolution. And it is a more powerful force than any human could ever try to resist or try to um, you know control and so whatever the outcome is the outcome will be evolutionary and with evolution it's an interesting process it's not just a linear line it's something that twists and turns and morphs and adapts and changes Um, the force itself is consistent but the way it manifests and unravels is very inconsistent if we look at our own life i've evolved there's no question about it over time i'm more awake more conscious than ever before but it was certainly a brutal twisting winding arduous path at times and to the point where sometimes you want to kind of hop off the bus but um the the interesting phenomenon is that evolution prevails and the outcomes are always better it's just that the process of it becoming better sometimes looks a lot worse and the analogy i like to use just to close that off is that if we take the renovation of an old home that is going through an upgrade We take the old home, which kind of looks okay. It's got Venetian blinds and carpet and old kitchens and old bathrooms. Then we take the middle of the renovation and the bathroom's ripped out, the kitchen's ripped out, the floorboards and carpets are all ripped up, the the Venetian blinds are all pulled out, and we've got this kind of a very dilapidated looking house, you know, very unlivable, much more unlivable than what it was before. And if we take that part of the curve, we would say this is diabolical. Um, not knowing what the future part of that curve is, if we take the future part of that curve and move along that timeline, we'll go, wow, wow, look what you've done to this place. It's so incredible. And so sometimes evolution can, in one particular stage of the process, look pretty horrendous, but that's not the end of the process. We've got to continue to see that out.
0: Wow, that's an incredible metaphor for where we stand Thank you so much for sharing that. I guess to sort of bring that back now to meditation and stillness, because even with, well, within and around all of that, and you dedicating yourself wholly solely as you being to meditation, there is this, um, I guess, underlying current of as within, so without then. Um, as we dive into meditation and the role that the individual then plays in this collective shift that we're kind of going through. Um, I want to ask, I didn't ask this question last time, it was stillness, like, you know, transcendence was something that spoke to you, emotional regulation speaks to people, certain things, that are specific science here around meditation, alpha, beta, delta, brain waves, nervous system, like all this sort of stuff. Um, and yet you chose to name it the stillness project. And maybe that ties into what we've just been discussing. Um, yeah. Why the Stillness Project? Why stillness specifically? What's so important about stillness, in your opinion?
2: Mm. Um, let's understand what stillness is. I think it's really important. Uh, Please. You know, stillness is, in simple terms, the absence of motion, and that is physical and mental. Um, you know, people say to me, oh, I, I meditate, I do swimming. Or, I meditate, I do dancing. And... You can be in a particular state of mind while you're doing swimming or while you're doing dancing, but in essence, you're still dancing and in essence, you're still swimming. And so they can be meditative, quite quite meditative processes, but really what we're looking for is stillness in, of mind and body, where there's an absence of motion. And what happens when we achieve that in a meditative state? So that is when the body is profoundly still, there's no... Physiological movement, and the mind is deeply still because it's satiated. And this is the the beauty of Vedic meditation, is that we use a mechanism called a mantra, a primordial vibration that has a beautiful nectar and quality about it for the mind, and it takes the mind away from that constant external world chasing of charm and charisma and pleasure, into the inner world of silence and stillness. Now it, it. the mind's not moving towards silence or stillness the mind's moving towards greater charm and the mantra leads the mind towards greater charm now the greatest charm that the mind can find is conscious awareness without thought now this is a a realm called being or presence or pure consciousness now pure consciousness is pure in that it's not tainted by a positive or negative thought uh it's not tainted by a future past scenario it's it's, it's really pure in that there's no thoughts, yet it is conscious awareness. Now, there, it has an essence to it, which is remarkably blissful. The, the quality of that is profoundly blissful. And because it's blissful, the mind is now still. Now, there's two great benefits that come when the mind and body is still. The first benefit that comes is the deep, deep nourishing, healing rest that gets activated in the body that inspires an intelligence for the optimization of the vehicle. So that's when the body starts to kick in and its intelligent design starts to optimize and regulate to the point where you see a lot of anomalies starting to clear out of the body and a lot of things are getting repaired in that environment because the body is actually designed to optimize and it wants to optimize. And we're just creating the environment for that to happen. So, optimization of the physical vessel is critical. Even uh, two days ago, I was teaching meditation and um, the gentleman dropped into deep rest. And he came out of the meditation and started crying. And that's because the body was releasing the toxicity. And it sounds unpleasant, the toxicity, but that the low grade frequency of sadness that was a low re- resonance in the body as the body purified. And it released that emotion that was trapped in the body. And then the, the tears just flowed. And I said, that's really healthy, wonderful that you're releasing that at this p- point in time. The second thing that comes from stillness of mind and body when the mind is awake, not asleep or unconscious, is we access a field of intelligence, the unified field. It's the field that all potential and all creativity exists in. And it's bursting with fullness. It's bursting with all possibility that everything that will ever be created and designed or cognized will come out of that field, which is quite phenomenal. And so when we start to dip into that field of pure consciousness, we're really coming from a place of greater potential as a human being and getting out of the minutia and the conditioning and the constructs of the, of the thinking mind, which is what we call vasanas.
0: Mm. And so stillness, thank you so much for sharing that. It's so inspiring. <laughs> and I find, yeah, I find it really apt that you mentioned that there's, um, yeah, because oftentimes I do find people describing something similar to me. It's like, I'm dancing and I'm in flow, you know, and it's like, hey, I'm, you know, like you said, I'm swimming. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're in a flow state and it's a particular state of mind, but it's not specifically meditation. One of your um, most popular YouTube videos online is the four different types of meditation. Um, and we've, I guess we're discussing transcending meditation. Um, yeah. Can you touch on the other three just so we can sort of – Compartmentalize a little bit around, so we know, um, yeah, what we're doing.
2: Yeah, there's so many different types of meditation. There's some apps out there. I think they've got ten thousand or twenty thousand meditations on there. So we can meditate in many different ways, and there's no right or wrong way. They're all benefit uh, beneficial. And I use multiple. Yeah, I use multiple forms of meditation. So one form of meditation is to is concentration meditation, and that's where we're going to really. Bring with some effort and a lot of force and a lot of discipline, uh, a focal point for the mind. So we're going to either focus on the breath, the third eye, a candle, something that will really, with some form of discipline, keep the mind centered on one particular point. And it's a very beautiful meditation. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, particularly in our world where our mind is very scattered and processing a lot of information, which we need our mind to be doing. So it's a difficult meditation. A lot of people struggle with it. They find it almost sometimes creates more stress because it's hard for them to to do that and they feel uncomfortable. And if we feel uncomfortable doing an activity, it's very hard for us to integrate that in our day because we like putting pleasurable things in our day, not uncomfortable things in our day. And so the retention rate on some of those concentration meditations is quite low. I tend to find what's really important for me is retention rate, the ability to retain your meditation practice on a daily basis is where it's gonna really have the power. And so with a low retention rate, it's very hard for that to have sustainable impact, but it's a very powerful meditation. Uh, contemplation meditation, that's where we're doing gratitude, visualizations, listening to Matthew McConaughey, doing a bedtime story on the karma app, or you know, things where we're still having mental stimulation. So the mind's not still in contemplation meditation. Mm-hmm. It's still a powerful meditation and I also do contemplation meditations. That's gratitude, visualizations, even some chakra alignment at times. And that's where I'm actually actively engaging my mind for a particular outcome. So the mind is still engaged and there's still activity. It's just that I'm being selective about what type of activity that I'm choosing to have in the mind. And then we've got chanting meditations where we use our mala beads and we'll go through 108 chants, maybe 108 times, and we'll do um, a regular sort of repetition out loud of a particular mantra. It might be something like Om Mani Padmiham or Om Namah Shava, things like that, where we we go through that repetition of that chant to activate a particular vibration or resonance in the body. And these are very powerful meditations as well. And I often will do a chanting meditation to activate a resonance to cause some sort of attraction in the unified field that will attract something towards me. And um, the thing with those... Active meditations like chanting, it is a very active meditation. You're not going into those deep, deep states of restfulness because you're through some form of stimulation, counting the mantra beads and doing your chant and saying it out loud. So again, we haven't gone into silence and stillness, um, although it's still a beautiful meditation. And then we've got the transcending meditations, which is where we actually transcend and we put the mind and body into profoundly deep states of rest. So all beneficial, all very valuable, but just very different.
0: At the moment with the transcending meditation, you've been meditating for quite some time and it's sort of being your modus operandi, I guess. Are you, and maybe this is different in different occasions, but I'd love to ask the question, do you find yourself coming back to meditation for yourself, specifically for, like, deeper connection to self and to just rest, come back into rest and digest in the parasympathetic and to just drop a whole bunch of stress and stuff throughout your day? Or are you actually looking to connect to that wider field, um, all the above, or is it specific or is it different time to time? What What keeps you motivated along your journey to continue to meditate?
2: It's going to be different for everyone, depending on where they are in their pipeline of their journey in their evolution, um, I first started to meditate so I could sleep better and get rid of the anxiety. So we generally, a lot of people come to me um, you know, with a pain point that they're trying to resolve or eradicate. And for me, that was where I started. These days, meditation, because those pain points have been removed and released, then what we tend to find is people move along first being inspired by the stick, which is uh, you know, there, there's a pain that's moving them into meditation and then eventually it's the carrot, the lure of a deeper connection, the lure of a heightened state of consciousness, the lure of being um, more connected with the divine. So for me these days, it's twofold. Sometimes my body gets tired. Um, you know, the weekend I was, did a lot of coaching with my clients. I taught meditation, had a keynote presentation. So uh, there was a little bit of fatigue and then I will meditate to go into very, very deep states of rest. And it's a very efficient form of stress release and, and fatigue release happening in that 20-minute meditation or 30-minute meditation. It also for me is about really connecting into the subtle field. You know, there's two worlds that we play in: world of form and phenomenon, in the world and which is the world of the finite, and then there's the world of the infinite, which is the subtlest when I say subtle, lest, the, the subtlest field, which is the field that there's no form in, the field of the divine or God or source. And so connecting in with that is really critical whilst we play in the world of form. So we have this integrated in Sanskrit, it's called Brahman, the totality, to be experiencing the totality of form and formlessness, manifests and unmanifest, and to experience the infinite and the finite simultaneously at the same time. And it's easy in the dense world to get very caught up in the world of denseness, forms and phenomenon. That's jobs and houses and cars and family and money and weather and phones and Instagram accounts and comments and likes. It's all forms. But to not get completely swept away by all of that and ignore the subtlest world, which is the world of formlessness, which isn't an empty world. It's not a void. It's not blackness it's actually a world that's brimming with joy and love and and ecstasy in some respects so it's really important we integrate those two worlds together and that's what's missing on the planet we're in a period of time in sanskrit called kali yuga which is an age of ignorance ignoring that subtlest world the world of formlessness so for me it's a big part of always reminding and reconnecting and remembering to be with that source
0: because that was going to be one of my questions today, which is around the fact that living in this, like, well, 3D reality, which is very sensorially rich um, and rewarding in in some ways. Uh, <laughs> nobody do pay for that all the <laughs> Um the, the subtleness within which meditation invites us into and the way within, each, way within which it rewards us Um can make it difficult for people that are early starting on in meditation to actually connect to a practice. What do you recommend for those people?
2: I do recommend finding a qualified teacher. Uh, this is not just to sell seller because that's what, what I do, but to really, you know, this is one of the most important things I think we'll ever learn in life. And when we want to learn things, we generally go to someone that's qualified. And I think finding a teacher that will take you through a particular process of learning the art of transcending, I think, There's so many different types of meditation, and like I said, they're all beneficial, but we've really got to learn to experience the fourth layer of reality. We've got the deep sleep, we've got dream state, we've got thinking state, we've got to get into that fourth state. We call it Turiya in Sanskrit. And to transcend, I think, is key to experiencing the fullness of life. Now, most people who are doing a course of Vedic meditation generally will experience some form of transcendence. My students had it on the weekend first time they've ever meditated and they're dropping into that space very quickly. And the beautiful thing about why I teach this and why I practice this is only because I find it for me personally was the most effective thing that I could find to access that realm. And so what I suggest is that for early adopters, chop around and find out whether you're getting that transcendent experience, whether you're getting into that space, because there's two things, like I said, it's, it's extremely blissful. And very compelling, which is why we have such a high retention rate for that particular technique because of the the bliss that is experienced. But there's something quite tangible and almost measurable in some respects that you're aware when you're dropping into that space. Um, And as one student said, you know, I don't know where I went just then, but that was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So they knew they went beyond. They knew they went somewhere that was not the normal place they currently occupy or exist. (laughs) <laughs> yeah
0: sorry i was saying that's my favorite comment when they pop out on the other side yeah of the yeah,
2: yeah wow
0: what just happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's magic. laughs> yeah i live for that and like on in contrast to that sometimes i feel like people come to meditation feeling like they're looking for something to happen like bells and whistles and visions and you know and i and i see that as Well, can you describe that for the obstacle that it is um, in its own way as well? Yeah, Yeah,
2: it's a massive obstacle. It's actually the biggest obstacle for the entire spiritual community. It's the obstacle for people that aren't into spirituality, but it's a massive obstacle as well because what it is is that we're we're attached to the seeker. Mm. And the seeker is seeking what is needed to or wanted to be sought. And this is the dilemma because really... To seek what is being sought is to let go of the seeker. Which is what's really interesting about the the meditation technique that I teach is that what, what actually takes you to that experience of transcendence is actually you forego and surrender the seeker and the seeking at the same time. This is the beauty of this practice is that we don't go looking for something, we actually let go of the looker. And that's what transcendence is. It's it's like, are you ready to surrender the seeker and the seeking? Because when you do, then what you were seeking actually will be sought. And this is the irony of the practice, is that as long as we're craving a more higher experience, a deeper experience, we're always going to be in the way of actually having what we already are. It's not like we actually get something that we don't have. We actually let go of the thing that is stopping us from experiencing what we already are. And that's going to be the biggest part of the process. So what was happening on the weekend with this gentleman meditating was he found himself dropping down, which is the melting away of his identity, the thoughts, the emotions, and the physicality were starting to melt away. And then he said he had this trepidation and he pulled himself out. He said, I kept pulling myself out. And I said, yeah, because you were afraid to let go of the seeker. You were holding on to the identity of the person trying to be the seeker, trying to find something. And I said, that's the thing that gets in the way for most of us is that we're always looking for that next high or that next spiritual experience or that next lightning bolt or turtle dove. And sometimes that craving and that seeking is actually the barrier to you being what you already are, which is, are you ready to let go of being everything and anything at the same time? And then what will happen is the richness will be yours because you are already it. You don't get something. You let go. That's what enlightenment is it's a very challenging process because this is really not about gaining our whole society is built on the idea of gaining and we we carry that even into our spiritual search can i get more can i gain more i want more of this i want higher this no it's not that it's about being less
0: tom how do you navigate the um the integration of the dissolution of the seeker in those states and the seeking but then also coming back to 3d reality um where you are you know you still have to navigate the world and the ego has to assume some sort of identity involved to be able to go pick up a coffee and (laughs) do some groceries etc etc um yeah it's almost like are you throttling your awareness to some degree or are you you know just modulating as you go from one space to the other or Is there a consistent awareness that you're carrying? I'd love to sort of, yeah, just open that question.
2: Mm. So where I am is definitely a very different experience to where I was, let's just say, five years ago, two years ago. Um, It's it's an ongoing process. And where I am today is uh, not going to be where I will be in another two years' time with more work, And so, which is really more work of letting go, more work of clearing, more work of being less. And so when we get into what we call a non-dual experience, which is where we experience just pure unboundedness, no seeker, no ego, and we're experiencing really just the the field of oneness and the unmanifest. And then we come out of that or we incorporate within that this identity, which has a thought it, or thought, thought-filled mind. It has a, a, some form of feeling body, an emotional body, That is the sensations that ripple through the physical form. Now, the physical form is my vessel, it moves me around. I did a long walk this morning. So, my physical form is the thing that moves me on this particular dimension, the dense dimension on planet Earth. There's a feeling body within that, which when I listen to Netflix, sorry, listen to Spotify, or eat ice cream, or watch Netflix, or cuddle my dog, or play with my family, then um, it it has some sensations arise within the body that uh, sensations of either positive or negative charges, which is the emotional body. And then we have a thinking mind, which is the thing that has software apparatus and it's of constantly having thoughts moving through it. Um, the integration of non-duality and the unmanifest into duality is a really interesting process. And traditionally, traditionally people in a very, very non-dual type of experience, non-egoic and what we call emptiness in Buddhism, they're empty of the ego construct they traditionally found it very, very difficult to integrate into the world with families and jobs and finances. So they lived very remotely in caves and ashrams sort of and like lived as an ascetic. And yeah. um, what we're starting to explore now, which is a brand-new paradigm, and it's something that really we're on the very early stages of exploring. Yeah. This is like a, a new threshold. That we're never really, yeah. but Definitely pioneering. You know, what is it like to be non-dual, to be empty of the occupant, the ego, and to be living in the world with jobs and with families and with financial, you know, challenges. And that's something that we're just trying to work ourselves out, you know, and there's a great line by Sadhguru. I don't remember the exact quote, but he says, we go into the non-dual and come back into the dual. Now, someone in duality, which is just full ego existence, um, without having had any non-dual spiritual experience, they don't look that dissimilar to someone that's in the dual state because they're driving cars, they're eating ice cream, they're going to the Thai restaurant and they're doing their jobs and going to the movies. Chopping wood carrying water, yeah. (laughs) Chopping wood and carrying water, you know, so it doesn't look on the surface level of activity that dissimilar. It's just that there's a very subtle degree of quite dynamic shift as well, subtle but dynamic um, in their level of awareness of, of what they're doing whilst they're in activity. And that really is the difference that I'm starting to explore. You know, how do I integrate the manifest the non-dual state of just being? Um, As Tom said, the analogy I kind of use for my students to try and grasp this, it's it's hard to sort of grasp something that's almost ungraspable with words. But the two analogies I use, one is this blue sky, which is always there, whether there's clouds there or not. And the non-dual is the blue sky. The jewel, the, the, the structure, the form is the cloud, and the cloud can impede the expression of that or the, the appearance of the blue sky sometime. And that's what the ego can do. So, you're just hearing my words, you're seeing Tom, the body, you, you know, you're um, seeing the movements of Tom. So, that would be the form, like the cloud in the sky, even though there's a blue sky behind the form, which is just the divine quality. Um, the other analogy I use is the ocean, which is expresses itself on the surface as waves, which are undulations that are constantly being affected and changing, whereas at the depths of the ocean, which is the same body of the water, is deep and still, and that full oceanic experience can be experienced in the non-dual and the dual at the same time. So what it feels like to try and quantify it for someone is that I have words, I have actions, I have thoughts, I have sensations... And simultaneously, in, in inclusive of that, pervading and permeating that is an ever-present, subtle, very light feeling of blissful joyfulness and lovingness, even though I might be crying one day. And that's the interesting phenomenon about this. So um, it's really quite fascinating how you can have that dual experience happening at the same time.
0: I'm reminded of um, in the Vedic scriptures, they say even... The path of, and they say even, but I not that. But even the path of the householder, because they got different archetypes, different stages of life. But even the path of the householder is a full spiritual like inscription, <laughs> you know, in in uh, in, in kali Yuga, because, or in Yuga because um yeah, it just takes so much to chop wood, carry water, with carrying that awareness that you know. Yeah, you're sort of modulating and, um, and trying to integrate the two as you carry them. It can be a whole um, path of chopping wood, carrying water. The more I tune into your work, Tom, the more I come to realise that, or it, it evokes the invitation to start to realise, actually, it's probably the right way to articulate it, that fulfilment, which is this big thing that we talk about, is like oh, fulfilment life fulfilled, life purpose. Um, and as a purpose coach, it's, you know, for me it's it's interesting seeing what relationship people have with the term purpose. You know, some people are completely aversion to it. Some people are like, oh, what's my one thing? And some people are like, oh, there's many things. i like, many purposes in family. Right? Um, but the word fulfillment when I tune into your work leaves me with this sort of feeling that it's not this – there may be this connotation on the macro, like this one piece of fulfilment that I'm walking in this life. But it seems to be more of a moment-to-moment thing. Um, am I right? Am I wrong from what I'm picking up from what I've just from your lessons and learnings? what are you? What's your perspective on fulfilment?
2: We can look at it on two levels. We look at it what we call in Sanskrit called the karmakant layer, which is the layer of denseness. So fulfilment on that level can be like, what, what is a fulfilling way of living in the world? Uh, are you living healthily? Are you living lovingly? Are you living with um, things that you uh, aren't coded into, but a, a deep knowingness of the life that you can live, which is doing things that you enjoy doing, doing things that you love doing, doing things that have meaning. So they're very human type perspective and relationship with fulfillment, which is living a fulfilling life. But then we have really the true essence of fulfillment, and really, the only way that we can truly experience the depths of fulfillment is to let go of the thing that's looking for fulfillment. Um, because ultimately, the essence of fulfillment is the quality of the divine. The divine, let's just change that if you wanted to, to God or Source or the higher self, to Spirit. Its quality, its characteristic, one of them is fulfillment. It's complete. It's whole. It doesn't ever have a sense of I need more. I am lacking. There is something that if I move in this direction to that place, then I will have a better experience. And that's the ignorance that we live with in this world, the ignorance that um you know that's what fulfillment is. That's a, a moment in time that we'll see a degree of fulfillment happen because of something that we've achieved. And we want to continue on in the process of playing in the Karmakan level, the grossness and, you know, create a beautiful artwork or create a movie or write a book or go to dance classes, go to yoga, get a massage, you know, have some babies, you know, get a pet dog. These are all wonderful expressions of the divine in the world of form. But if we really want to liberate ourselves, we've got to actually be immersed and stabilized in our divine quality because that's really where the true essence of fulfillment exists.
0: So, I'm also meditation as a tick and flick exercise, and I'm conscious that mindfulness becomes this game of the mind in that space. Um, I'm going to go to the gym because I know it's going to give me a stack of endorphins. I know I'm going to, you know, uh, do my meditations, and you know, it'll get me in and you know, a bit of mindfulness. But as I'm talking to you, I'm conscious that it's. It's very difficult to have the conversation around meditation and transcending meditation without having the conversation around spirit, universe, higher energy, source, being invited in. Um, Yeah, your thoughts and sentiments on potentially how to invite those that may be listening in that see meditation purely as just this, um, and it does have cognitive benefits, right? But purely just the one dimension of it, just having like this simply cognitive benefits into cracking it open. I'm sure this conversation as a whole is potentially an invitation to to explore further. Um, but what would you what would you say to those people that sort of see it as just this very one dimensional um, exercise that is meditation?
2: Yeah, it's the analogy I like to use is not to be disparaging or belittling of anyone, uh, to be fully respectful of where everyone is. You know, when I learned to meditate, um, I had no intention, or no interest, or no understanding, or no even, (laughs) uh, you know, idea that enlightenment or spirituality even existed. (laughs) It's really just that I, hey, dude, get this anxiety and depression and insomnia out of my life. Um, And so, the analogy I like to use is a fourth-year quantum physics lecturer, and if he has been invited to go and teach maths to his seven-year-old daughter's primary school class because the teacher's sick that day and he was dropping his daughter off and they said, oh, my goodness, the teacher's away today. Would you like to come in and maybe teach some kids some maths? And if he came in and if he started teaching those seven-year-old children quantum physics, they would just be like, what on earth is... He's talking like (laughs) Russian or something. This is another language. Right? And <laughs> yeah. the thing is that for I, him to actually I, be able to teach I, quantum physics was he had to yeah. do seven-year-old um, maths at some stage. Um, you know, it was a layer upon layer upon layer of him adding more and more depth to the, the, the knowledge. And so knowledge, it, it, it can't just be delivered, you know, in one way. It has to be incrementally delivered. And that's the beautiful thing with knowledge. And so that's the beautiful thing that we're in this wonderful timeline of evolution and that's what the the divine the field of oneness or god or source has created is this created this timeline that evolution moves through and so that's the gift that we have the playfulness of it so i work with Qantas and amazon and oracle and you know i can't go in there and say meditate and you'll have let go of the seeker and you'll find the sword <laughs> they're like yeah <laughs> So it's like you
0: know'
2: this yes, is gonna kind of that conversation So it's like you know this is gonna give you better brain optimization, greater thinking, less absenteeism, better productivity, better flow states. you'll have less sick days and you'll sleep better. and that's all true as well. Two plus two. Equals four is true as well as the quantum physics, mathematics formulas that are on a whiteboard that cover, you know, four whiteboards' length um, are all true and are all relevant. Yeah, I love that.
0: One of the things I'd love to ask you today as well is someone that's a long term meditator, and I'll put my hand up, this happens to me, um, is solid practice for could be an extended period of time, could be years. And then there'll be this dip where the meditation practice just eludes me. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's a life event, you know, like the birth of my son, Touchwood is, you know, sleep eludes us, <laughs> let alone <laughs> taking the time to sit and be present. Um, but I do feel that there are still remnants of the meditation practice that carry through in the time period, and then you start to realise that you're off centre, and then you... Um, I found myself coming back to meditation, but that highlighted this point where I'm sure there are I'm not alone. There are many people that are long-term meditators that drop off their practices. Do you see that? And what do you see sort of being the the cause and and the the remedy to to some of that, in
2: your opinion? Yeah, quite often, what we tend to find is people start meditating because they've got a problem. And then when the problem resolves itself, which is very common and usually what happens when they start meditating, because as you said before, as so within is so without, I can't remember the exact phrase, but it was all like that. And so when they start to shift their internal state, their external world starts to normalize and regulate and become a little bit more cohesive because they're attracting more cohesion in their life because they're more cohesive inside themselves. And so at that point, they're like, oh, job done, that's good. Uh, I don't need to do it anymore. And so the tool that they used To make their life better worked and they dropped the tool Um, they no longer need it which is totally fine and understandable and normal there's no judgment or anything wrong with that what tends to happen is though that at some point uh, another problem arises and they need to come back to meditation it's like oh i dropped my meditation for a while and now i've got this (laughs) bloody problem that i need to fix and so they'll pick their meditation up and it's very common for people to oscillate or, you know, go through sort of an undulation with their practice where it's on and when it's off. But that's okay. You know, meditation, you know, we can get a little bit obsessive with it at times, Um, some meditators and some traditions and some practices, and there's a lot of idolatry around meditation teachers and meditation practices, and my way is better than your way, etc. My mantra is better than your mantra. Really, what we really uh mm-hmm. looking to mm-hmm. ego <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. i think we're all guilty of that and so what we've got to remember is what's what's it all for what's the what are we doing here what's the point of all this and it's really to have greater joy greater love greater connection greater experience and to eventually experience what it is to be full to be you know in our divine nature and whatever modality whatever way we do that it doesn't really matter for me I'm not really that fast you know if it means hiking on the Camino Trail do that if it means taking ayahuasca do that if it means doing breath work do that if it means doing ice baths do that you know I'm not really that concerned about what modalities you're using as long as it's working out for you and it's helping you live and be a better human and um, that even in itself is an ongoing process you know we're never really I don't know if it's Maslow's, not Maslow, sorry, it's um, Zeno's Paradox. The big question is, do we actually ever really get there? You know, am I still always going to have some traces of ego and some thing that I'm going to have to deal with and some stuff that I'm going to have to work through? Um, and so what's really important is we don't get too attached to the process and we don't get too attached to the person that's teaching the process either. Um, it's just an ongoing journey. Have fun along the way.
0: I find some coaching clients of mine and this is quite a few people through the times they get they have a meditation practice which is 2 to 3 hours in the morning 2 to 3 hours in the evening and I find myself obviously acknowledging and supporting them as required as needed but then part of me does wonder internally like Surely, there's not well, not surely. Obviously, it's a case by case situation. And each individual presents differently. But how do you espouse balance with living in the real world? And I don't say meditation is not living in the real world. It's you know we've talked a lot about it today in terms of connecting into that field of oneness um, and all the benefits that can be espoused in that space. But and also. You know, at what point are you leaning onto your tools so hard that they're becoming a crutch, and you're just, you know, and how to like, how do you navigate like invite the navigation of balance between those spaces um, for people? Because I, I'm sure some of those people listening into this podcast have a practice where they're meditating significantly and they want to take it further. Um, and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with meditating eight hours a day, but I'm just conscious that there are people that I know that are meditating potentially six to eight hours a day and not really getting much out of life itself Um, beyond that from my humble perspective. And maybe I'm completely wrong. But, yeah, just...
2: Yeah, there's definitely the case of people leaning sometimes too much or for too long on their tools. The tools are important. They play a role in helping us stabilise. It's like the analogy I like to use is it's like a cast on a leg when we've got a broken leg and... Mm -hmm the cast itself isn't fixing the leg the, the leg fixes itself the, the cast is just stabilizing it but if we get too attached and too reverent and too idolized of the cast we're like oh my gosh the cast saved me i'm never going to let this go then what happens is that cast can actually become detrimental and it can actually yeah. cause gangrene it can, it can actually lose atrophy leg. right yeah yeah. The, yeah yeah
0: yeah
2: and a, a couple I of ain't stories there, oh, sorry <laughs> yeah. Come on. yeah there's a couple of stories that are probably relevant at this point. One was a book I read about a monk from Denmark or Finland and he went to a Thai monastery and he spent 12 years in this monastery in silence and stillness. And he really leaned on that that process, that practice to, to be like the saviour to his life, to his world. And then when he left the monastery, he went back into the world and he really struggled. He was an absolute mess. He, he really wasn't integrated and stabilized in that in activity and this is really the important part of the process is it's not so much what we're getting in meditation it's not so much what we're getting in breath work or yoga it's how we integrate that whilst we're not in meditation whilst we're not in yoga and I remember one morning I was down at the beach and there's a section of the beach at South Bondi called the temple which is a concrete platform that in the morning, it's peak hour at six in the morning at sunrise. And there's people doing yoga and Tai Chi and meditation. It's a beautiful energy down there. And the sun rises and hits the cliffs of Bondi at the south end of Bondi. And everyone's doing their morning sadhana. And there was a woman down there, she had the most exquisite yoga asana. It was just perfection. And she'd have the beautiful music playing and incense and she'd be doing her yoga in the most incredible way. And one day, a gentleman was walking his dog, and the dog was off the leash, which is a bit of a no-no on the beach. Admittedly, admittedly, he was he was in the wrong for having the dog off the beach, uh, off the lead on the beach. And um, the dog had come up to her while she was on a yoga mat and started sniffing her playfully. And um, <laughs> I watched this unfold, and she stopped her yoga pose and swore quite violently at this gentleman. Get your effing dog off the effing beach, you effing asshole! And I was like, oh. wow. So <laughs> <unintegrated."> <laughs> <laughs> We've got yoga mat here and then integration not happening here. And so it's really about not so much, again, like I said, the tools, the techniques, the gurus. It's, it's how are you living in life? How loving are you? How gentle are you? How kind are you? How caring are you? Um, how stable are you? How healthy and vital are you? And... How inspiring are you whilst you're not in your meditation practice, whilst you're not in your yoga? There's one thing I teach all my students and the teachers that I'm teaching in my teacher training program. It's like, you know, we've got to live and breathe this. We've got to live and breathe this and walk the talk. Otherwise, people won't want to be part of what it is that you're trying to inspire them to be part of.
0: Cause that's one of my questions today, which is many people have heard of the benefits of meditation, and if they've listened this far into the episode, they're definitely curious about <laughs> meditation, and yet somehow they still won't start. Um, what's you know, is it just a matter of you haven't had the right amount of pain <laughs> to, to break down, to break through, or how do we um invite those? potentially that are listening along and are still sort of like, okay, I can't listen to another podcast on meditation. Yeah, I still haven't started a practice. Um, I know reaching out to a person um, to learn is one of your recommendations and I think it's probably one of the best ones. It's If it wasn't for my meditation teachers, I wouldn't be, well, touch with the meditation person that I am today. Um, yeah, but for those that are tuning in and still won't start, why do you think that is?
2: Look, I think we should use more force. You know, AK forty sevens and closures and lockdowns. <laughs> this is that inner peace call we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: We'll get there eventually. The revolution is being televised. <laughs> I, I think you're
2: kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, you know, it's one of those things shades yeah, it's um there's never a right or wrong time for someone to learn to meditate. You know, it's a lot of people don't need it. You know, it's just, it's not like everyone should be meditating. Everyone has to meditate. It's just, that's just silly. Um, You know, someone told me for five years, a good friend of mine said that I should meditate. They could see that I was a real mess and I just wasn't ready. And I just kept saying, no, I don't, no interest in it, you know, and I just hadn't exhausted my research into other areas of fulfillment. And even though someone might not look fulfilled or they might not look happy or they might not look healthy, But if they know that there are other options and they're not interested in them, that's totally fine because it means that they're still exhausting and haven't yet completed the current research that they're doing. And everyone's just doing research into areas of fulfillment. And um, that's just an ongoing process. And so someone has yet to complete and exhaust their fulfillment research in one particular direction, then we've got to let them play out that timeline. And we can't speed that up for them. We can't shorten it. We've got to let them get to the end of that research and not do it with with judgment to do it with with you know just love and acceptance and the analogy we use sometimes in in reference to this is that if we pull the arrow back in the bow in the string and we pull it back 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 the further we pull that back when we eventually let that go, it's going to go faster and straighter. So the people that take longer longer periods of time and do more and more research, you know, the people that, like, hit rock bottom, they're the ones that tend to be, like, all in, you know, as opposed to the people like, eh, maybe I'll do it, maybe I'm not. Yeah, okay, I'll do it because you suggested it. As opposed, like, I'm doing this no matter what, you know, and they're the ones, like I was. You know, I'd pull that, <laughs> I pulled that back a long way uh, to yep. a sort of breaking point. It really Yeah, was to the point where it almost point. snapped, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's I,
0: right. I, wood, I was... <laughs> Similar situation to you, and
2: it's, you know, people <laughs> like, like yourself it? and myself. You yeah. know, we, we we go all in on our research in that direction, and yeah. we go all in on whatever we do. It's just it's just our nature.
0: Yeah, and research can look like last challenges in that way. Mm. Yeah. Some of the, some of the, like a, a low, level, well, low level question, basic sort of question. Best time of day to meditate, in your opinion? Um, yeah, like I know a lot of people espouse the morning. Do you vibe with the morning? Um, yeah, and, look, I know you do I don't... two times a day, right? So, yeah.
2: Ideally twice a day, you know, what we recommend is um just short bursts, you know, 15-20 minutes, one here and one there. And that dipping in and coming out and then dipping in is really, you know, there's a saying chop wood, meditate, chop wood, which is having activity, meditate, activity meditate. And that's how we get that integration. And I liken the analogy to stitching or weaving. And if you weave something, you you pierce the needle below the surface. And then you pierce it above the surface and then below the surface and above the surface. Now, this constant threading in and out through regularity and consistency rather than just one big block here and then no block for a long time, it's eventually you weave it into the fabric of your waking state. And that's how we have that integration. So one in the morning when we wake up is ideal after I do a little bit of an exercise or movement, some stretching, some breath work and then meditate. And then I find that as we're fading through the day, sometime between sort of Ideally, three and seven is a really nice time to get that afternoon. Oh, I don't kind of Really, <laughs> yeah, really reboot the system. It's a great, you know, way to recalibrate and reset yourself for the evening. Yeah, got it.
0: In the morning and, uh, yeah, after lunchish, before dinner-ish, sort of vibe. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and sometimes I find early meditators, they come and they say this, and I never know what to say because this never really happened to me, but some people fall asleep during meditation. Um has this happened? Oh, surely you've coached more people into meditation than I have. What do you? How do you support those people that are falling asleep during meditation? Probably totally fine. to fall asleep. Um, just their nervous system doing their thing. Or,
2: yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. You know, falling asleep in meditation is very healthy. It's the body looking at where's the anomaly, what's the problem, what do we need to fix? Oh, okay, fatigue is one of their biggest problems. They've got a few other problems going on in here as well, which we'll get to them. But we've got to get fatigue out first. So the body will address some of the more superficial stresses that are arising to get them out of the way and if fatigue is one of those then what it will do we'll go okay drop him into sleep get some uh, of that fatigue out of the system it's a really nice nourishing sort of noddies we call it where you get the noddies happening in meditation and um yeah we see that as a really beneficial part of your meditation experience yeah so it's not in the way it's part of the way yeah
0: for sure Another question to sort of zoom out a little bit was uh, I find sometimes when people are meditating, they come uh, like, you know, we're in this really deep state and symbology arises, thought patterns arise, and we try our best not to attach um, ourselves to it once we've been meditating for quite some time. But nonetheless, sometimes something will drop in and it feels kind of important. Um, But sometimes it's just your just your hard drive defragging right so how do you discern a little bit around you know once you have been meditating for quite some time whether it is just something that's on its way out of your system or whether it is something that's actually being dropped in for you to uh ponder and contemplate further in your waking state um does my question make sense
2: yeah it does it's a really good question actually yeah meditation can be very dynamic a lot of people get frustrated that they're not in stillness it's like well the glimpses into stillness can be quite rare at times because we've got things happening and stress is releasing and all sorts of brain visualizations and stuff so a lot of people get colors they get shapes and forms Uh, some people will get um, visualizations of um, you know thoughts and ideas and Uh, we can get sort of twitches and spasms. So meditation can be very dynamic and what arises, what's unraveling in the meditation, really we don't get too attached and associated with it. However, if after the meditation, you get a lingering resonance of the insight or cognition that you feel requires some form of action or some further development, then I definitely think it's worth exploring what that impulse is, what you're sort of getting arising within you and, and rather than sort of getting caught up in the emotion that's maybe releasing like the gentleman that cried on Sunday it wasn't a problem that he was crying and we didn't need to go into the therapy and the psychology of what actually had happened because it really could have been something that happened when he was five years old I wasn't really that concerned because I was very clearly aware that what was happening was some stress was releasing and it was a stress of sadness the story around the sadness at that point wasn't really that relevant and we didn't need to dig it up and regurgitate it All that we were happy with was that some negative sensations had been released out of the body. The body was clearing and purifying. And once he'd become very aware that this was a stress that was clearing, he didn't need to associate or attach or or get, you know, too entangled into that. However, if it's something that is something you need to address in life that you feel, you know, maybe it's a change of job or maybe it's, um, you know, something that, you're contemplating as, as far as a deeper sort of uh, direction in life, then you can definitely give it sort of further concern, further, um, I guess, attention after your meditation and do some deeper thinking on that. What I what I integrate into my day is what's called critical thinking and I inspire my coaching clients to do this. And windows of critical thinking are really important and that's where you allocate a set period of time to actually purposely and purposefully think and to not just think oh gosh I wonder if I've got to pay my electricity bill it's like be critical of how deep and how far and how expansive can you take your thought forms because our thoughts really fit within a very tight parameter um, yeah. of, day-to-day. of day-to-day yeah. thinking right so can you stretch them into who do I want to become what I what, what do I create am I living the dharma that I'm meant to be living and so critical thinking is I think is a really important part of living purposefully and living fruitfully and dynamically and getting much clearer about the direction that you're going on and, and reaching a fuller version of yourself because the thinking mind is really the starting point for the manifestation of our future life. So meditation is all good about clearing the mind and expanding the mind in that deep unified field um, sort of space of, of no thought. But I think when we come out of meditation, putting aside time for deep thinking and really assessing, like, who am I? Why am I acting this way? Why do I think this way? Who do I want to become? Because that's a blank canvas. And I really, particularly in our retreats, we go through a very set sequence of um, workshops and events and talks over the length of that retreat to help them really start to play with that quantum field so they can do some very deep, powerful, critical thinking and start creating a very magnificent life because most of us don't believe we're capable of that.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a total inspired evolution. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole nother episode we're going to get into. Oh, man. I um, As you were sharing, I've, I was listening to some poetry yesterday and I, I really appreciate what you're saying about the thinking and the mind as well because... What I was hearing, and I I absolutely love your metaphors, even the way you describe the stitching of the meditation above and below and the number multiple times a day and just, you know, how much tighter the fabric can be of your being and your practice, you know, with that. Um, But, yeah, alluding to what you were uh, talking to um, about the mind, uh, I'm going to butcher it. It was so beautiful, though. It was, you know, what is bigger, the sky or the mind, when one houses the other? And it was just like, oh, you know, and just the invitation to sort of just realise the capacity of, of mind. that went on to say, what is deeper, the ocean or the mind, when one houses the other? You know, and I was like, whoa, you know, actually the mind actually has this really incredible capacity um, to contemplate um, the infinite, yet never really able to reach it. Um, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate what you share. Oh, Tom, I... So many questions, so much gratitude, <laughs> Tom. Honestly, I can imagine just how potent spending twelve weeks with the work that you've done around you know meditation and also just you know the seeker and the identity piece, but then also all the trickle down benefits that sort of come down, stream from having a regular meditation practice, but then also being able to work with ego identity and softening a lot of those edges. Um, would be like would be useful for you've got a 12-week program that you support leaders with can you tell us a little bit about that just because i think it's a really inspiring space um, for a lot of us that are meditators and long term and also for us to sort of feel into the kind of work that you're doing actually in the world um influencing leaders to sort of have that sort of shift in awareness because the trickle-down economics of that is actually really inspiring as well
2: yeah look i you know, it took me a while to work out a business model as a conscious leader in the world. You know, when we came into this whole new world of yoga teachers, breath workers, meditation teachers, healers, um, you know, nutritionists, people that were looking to make a difference in the world, in people's lives, there wasn't really a lot of business models out there. You know, I was taught and I paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to coaches and consultants and advisors to mentor me when I left finance to set up my business. And they all kept saying the same thing, which was niche, niche, niche. And I'd created one product and we tried try to sell that time and time again. And it was going okay, but I just wasn't really getting there. And I was, it just never got really cash positive. And it was very, very difficult. And it took me a long time to work out a very different blueprint and business model that you can actually thrive in. And it, it's something that I'm now, it's called the Ascension Business Blueprint. And I mentor people over 12 weeks how to set up and thrive in your business model as a conscious leader where a you get to impact more people number 1 b you get to have a sustainable self-sufficient business model that allows you the fruits of your labor and thirdly what i call a win-win-win business paradigm or a game b business model which is i do a lot of mentoring on on startups and stuff is that not only do you win not only do your clients win but because you're a for profit and you have cash flow positive business then you can actually funnel some of that profit to other areas so we work with b1g1 which is buy one give one so when someone mm-hmm. buys my coaching program or buys my meditation course or pays me for a speaking gig or buys a retreat package we allocate a percentage of those funds to charities around the world so that's really what i call a gain b business where we're looking to create win 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 paradigms and omnipresent um sort of omni win sorry business model so we mentor people over 12 weeks called the zen academy on how to set up these businesses everything from websites to social media to mindset to enlightenment to you know your retreats getting books published having online programs coaching programs the works i love that
0: and for those that want to go deeper into your coaching uh, sorry your one-on-one coaching and meditation offerings like this courses there's so much at tomcronin.com um but a really awesome space that i'd love to sort of just invite people to is also i'll put a link to all of this in the show notes below is the portal um the documentary actually is it's a great watch (laughs) like sit around get your get your partner involved get your family around um and watch the portal as well is there any um any touch points that i sort of missed tom where people could connect with yourself um yeah
2: Yeah, they can reach out to me anytime on Instagram at Tom Cronin, just all one word, Tom Cronin. And then they can go to Enter the Portal to watch the film for free. We're just gifting that to the world now, so they're more um, than welcome to go and watch that. It's an interesting film. It's um, beautiful and rich and challenging as well. It's not done in a very unique style, so it's um, it's a journey that they can go on. And they can go to TomCronin.com or EnterthePortal.com for both of those.
0: Awesome. Tom... Thank you so much for your time here today. Um, Your presence, your insight, your wisdom, sharing it with us. It is such a blessing to receive. And, you know, as always, we get to stand on, you know, this conversation stands on the moments of all the moments past and just the amount of work you've put into your practice and pioneering, really, Um, especially in Australia, I feel, you know, um, the work that you've put into leading with consciousness and meditation, mindfulness, leadership and awareness. It's just been It's been really inspiring, and I just am so grateful for today's conversation and all the work you continue to put into this space. So, man, just really, really grateful for you.
2: Yeah, Mm. thank you. Well, thanks for creating the space. It's been an honor to be here. always love having our chats. It's uh, inspiring to have conversations like this. So thanks for accommodating that
0: inspired evolution tribe and audience you have made it all the way through to the end of another episode man i can't even tell you how inspired i am by you you just being that inspired to evolve to listen all the way through to the out well an hour-long episode all the way through to the end It just truly means the world to me, specifically because I'm inspired to evolve and also you're inspired to evolve. And it's one of my life's greatest honors ultimately to be your brother walking this path by your side. Thank you so much for tuning all the way in. It is an absolute gift me to be able to receive your blessings this way thank you so much it means the world to me that you're getting this much out of the conversation and if you have made it this far please please you obviously like the conversation it's a long conversation you tuned all the way in please give the video a like and a thumbs up it makes a massive difference let the algorithmic overlords on youtube know that this kind of content is the kind of content that people like and it helps it show it to other people and hopefully we can spread positivity further now this particular episode went into a few places. If you're beginning in your meditation practice, surely you got some stuff out of there. And if you have been practicing for a couple of years and want to take your practice a little bit deeper, hopefully you got some stuff out of there. If you've been practicing for a while and then dropped off your meditation practice, hopefully you got some stuff out of it. And also if you've been meditating for a long, long, long time and it's been more cognitive, but you wanted to make it more of a spiritual practice, hopefully you got some stuff out of this conversation for that as well. Now, I would love to hear from you in the comments section below. What is your practice. What does your meditation practice look like? How long have you been meditating for? Is it, have you just started? Are you thinking of starting? Have you been meditating for a couple of years, three years? I'd love to hear from you just to sort of get a feel into like you guys, um, where you're at. Some of the best conversations I've had recently is with you guys in the Inspired Evolution audience. You guys have booked into some one-on-one calls with myself and just getting to know you guys a little bit better has been so rewarding and so rich. So I'd love to continue that conversation with you further. And if you can leave me that little prayer emoji, that's my favorite. Read emoji at the moment. So, yeah, leave me your prayer hands um, for meditation and, uh, yeah. I'd love to hear from you there below. If you absolutely loved this episode with Tom Cronin, here's another conversation that we had with Tom for you to understand his story even better. In the previous conversation, we go really deep on his personal journey and how he came to meditation. I know we covered that off in today's conversation lightly, but if you really want to find out more about Tom and the other conversations seem to be a bit more esoteric in its nature, if you want to go deeper into the spiritual nature of meditation and mindfulness, this is the conversation for you. Check it out now. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations, and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired, and keep evolving.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better?